describes acts of extreme violence in graphic detail and may include discussions about demonology and the occult, topics that caused widespread panic during the 1980s. This content may not be suitable for children under the age of 50. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Grog Talk. I'm James. And I'm Dan. So, Dan, episode 75, and they said we wouldn't last 75 of these shenanigans, and who would have thought? So, uh, with that, where are we from today? Today, we are coming from the Crippled Unicorn in the village of Pell. The Crippled Unicorn. Oh, what is it known for? Oh, sure, I'll let you know. I'm glad you asked. I like that one inn remains open in Pell. <laughs> right off the bat, you know, yeah, you're you're there to adventure, bait. It doesn't sound like you know a vacation, right? Uh, one, it sounds like some malls I know. One inn, what? One, did you hear that? One inn remains open. The crippled unicorn. It's a gathering place for the remaining men of the village. There's only a few rooms left to let. Can you guess the charge for staying there? Yeah, so, you know, it's basically it's a kind of a rundown village, not a lot of people still living there. As a matter of fact, if you want, we're told by our friend Bill Fawcett, who wrote this, this is from Beastmaker Mountain, that you can stay in an abandoned cottage or something. Oh. I think some of them may not have roofs. Isn't that squatting, basically? It is, but I'm not so sure there's a real military force uh, in town. So how much would you pay to stay in a room at the Crippled Unicorn? I would pay a copper piece, but I'm sure it's probably like a gold piece. It's extraordinarily expensive. It's in between. It's, it's, a, it's five silver night, but the good news is the food is plentiful and hearty, and the Odor Tatums offers a blanket deal to adventures of five gold pieces a week for all the food they desire. This is like, wow. So Bill Fawcett was already thinking about like the all-you-can-eat buffet. It's like a, it's the sandals. It's an all-inclusive uh, <laughs> resort. It is. It is. So yeah, that so that's where that's where we're at. Uh but payment in advance is necessary if you mention that you plan on entering the nearby villa. So obviously he expects you not to live, Adams. Ah, I, I see that. That's very good. But what actually we're still in the abyss. We we feel like uh but we've just decided we're willing ourselves out of the abyss. Is that basically what we're trying to do? We're delirious. We're dying. I'm imagining. You know, you know, you know, it's bad when what you're imagining better is that you're at the crippled unicorn. Right, right. This is the uh-huh. last stages between slipping the mortal coil when the, you know, your brain is losing oxygen. That's good. 
Why, why is it that ends, it seems like it almost has to be, you have to have some sort of adjective, right? Like the drunken, whatever, right. or the crippled unicorn, the hungry this. It's, it's almost, you got to do it, right? Like, why is it not just one word? Like we have McDonald's, Shoney's. Right, right. Perkins. It really right. should be someone's name. Yeah. Saul's. We should Sauls. open up Saul's. Yeah. Saul's Emporium. Yeah, go ahead. Can you name an inn or a tavern? From any of the adventures you've run that had just a single name, that was because what we have, what was it? The uh, what's in Hamlet? Is that the wench? Something the, wench? This, uh, yeah, the whitey wench. I think it is the whitey wench. Something like that. Yeah. But again, see, can you think? I can't think of any. It's ha- and almost, it's either two, definitely two words. Alliteration is pref- preferred. Right. Yeah, I don't know. So that's what. Okay. Well, that will be right. our thing in our adventures. The it has to be Bob's. <laughs> Or something like that. Saul's. Right. You know. The chain. <laughs> right. The franchise. Oh, good. They have they have a Bob's here. Uh, in this. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Where's Bob? He hasn't been around forever. We just kept the name. So that's the Dread Pirate Roberts. Exactly. So oh, the Welcome Wench. Thank you. Welcome Wench. See, that's what's great about we see if people are paying attention because we can just say uh, something that's wrong and they're Johnny on the spot. So. We have a very smart audience. We, do, we are, and versed, which we're very small, fortunate. but smart. Small but smart. That's uh, that's good too. All right, so uh, we got a good show today. Um, we've got some announcements. Uh, first of all, we can continue to officially announce. The announcing will continue to be official. That uh, GrogCon two. Or GrogCon 81. We're not quite sure what the name is. It's going to yeah. be. Okay, I wanted to. Can I? Because I'm a co-organizer of a convention, and I'm really not sure what the name is. We're sure what the name is. You have you have asked for other names to be considered. Well, they re- those were rejected. So Grocon, <laughs> it was accepted. Yes. And then apparently, then it was rejected. Apparently a mistake was made. <laughs> the mistake being, James didn't know what he was thinking when he typed in yes to that text. So what you meant to type into that text was no. Right. Instead of yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. I got it. I was confused because I said, can we call it GrogCon 1981? I think you actually said something like, sure, right. maybe, it was, I don't know. You're not usually an exclamation point kind of guy, but I don't know. And, and, and so that's, I announced it as that. And then you had to go and consult other people. Right. Well, it, like, it, no. right. 1981. And then it was GrogCon 81. And I think that's where I started getting confused. So. <laughs> Wait, the move from 1981 to 81? Okay, and then so that was out because they was concerned that people would not realize it was in fact happening. Yeah, that, and so then right. it went to two. Right. And now I see a lot of stuff where it's GrogCon 2020. And so my point of all this, you see where I'm going with this, don't you? My GrogCon 1981 was rejected for being too confusing. Right. And how are things going now? It's, it, the is, alternatives. it is, you know, first – for a small, obscure convention, we've done everything we can to make it more difficult to find us. So <laughs> to keep people from coming, right? So if if you would like to go to the convention that we are hosting this October, please go out to grogcon.com. How's that? And where, that's the name. What? That's it. The convention that we are hosting. <laughs> okay. The convention. The, second, the convention the that second we are time. hosting October fifteenth through the seventeenth. That's right. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Brought to you by GrogCon. That's right. Convention. Not affiliated with GrogCon. That's right. Wait, yes, well, we affiliated with com- GrogCon. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a wholly owned convention. We are hosting. 
That's good. That rolls off the tongue. I love it. All right. Okay. Why not another name? I just call it whatever you want. It's like we have a project name, and we'll call it something. So that will be in Orlando, Kissimmee area. Um, we The tickets should be starting to be available in April. They usually set that stuff up. So... Uh, but if you have any questions beforehand, go to the website or you can send an email to info at grogcon.com or go out to Discord and we will. Uh, so we're going to have a planning meeting in the next month with the folks at Crucible who host the big convention. And uh, then we'll figure out who we're going to have. Oh, it says sign up for 2020. I thought it said, I thought I changed it to 2021. <laughs> just, okay, let me fix that too. I just fixed that. But I have to. Fix. You know, you know, if if people point out our errors in the chat, it's, it's not required that you announce it on the podcast for so it's there on the internets for all eternity. You know, yeah. just pointing that out. Well, yeah, it's still you know, it's it's the charm of the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, actually, you missed it. It was it was a few months ago. No one. That's no one right. Came. Where was everyone? We were just sitting there by ourselves. So. Um, and if you are a patron of a, uh, let's see, a, a lectrum or higher, um, going to GrogCon for the basic package or the basic entrance is on us because you guys are super cool. And so thank you to patrons who that really, we do this for you all and for us to have a good time and get together. So hopefully that will work. Um, speaking of patron fun things, uh, is... Flipping and turning, 2.5 is available. We've had both issues, Rob, our editor, has told me. We, there's been hundreds of downloads. How's that? That's, 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 that's very impressive. It's just uh, it's incredible. So issue three is being worked on now. So um, for those who have committed to, I know Rob will be happy, or Chamberlain and Brandywine would be happy if I say, if you've committed to some, uh, work for this episode get on it if you haven't done it uh and if you would like to contribute there'll be more episodes or issues so feel free to submit it at editor at grogcon.com okay and you know, it's funny i don't know if you've noticed this hmm. but I, I i am and i now believe you probably are too you know there, i think there's a site i can't remember the name of it as you can tell i do a lot of prep for the show um where it lists rpg contributors like authors of published work and so now I think all of us, right. because we're on drive through RPG, everybody who's contributed, I believe now, will have, it's a sort of like, what is it, the IB, what, what's the ISBN, one when you're in? Oh, no, IDB, IMDB, the movie one? Yeah, the, the one where you're in film. Mm -hmm. I believe we all now have, uh, you will find a record of your, of your work. I need to, you need to update your Vitae and your... Uh, <laughs> And your bio when you speak at, uh, at the convention. In fact, I'll need your bio for to put up on GrogCon. You know, that's right. That's right. And and, we'll, and we'll, of course, we'll, we'll need your headshot. Right. Exactly. What do they used to call those? Um, it, I mean, it was just a headshot. Just but right, you get you go you'd go to glamour shots if you were if they didn't have glamour shot. Right. We'll need your glamour. Thank you. We'll need your glamour shot. <laughs> You know, some weird, some weird, it was always some weird pose, so. And it was always, and it seemed like it always had been taken like 15 years earlier. Right. And it's very bright, <laughs> like, and it's like. Mun Young, <laughs> right? So a lot of the shots are like, okay, no, you don't, you don't look that no, way No, not, not at all. Yeah, please. Yeah, I, I've got a full head of hair still. Yeah. <laughs> you look like Albie Fiore. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> I don't think I've ever looked like Alvi Fiore, unfortunately. He had he had the fro kind of thing, so no. Uh, oh, I have I have something that uh, our dear friend Lane made for me and Nico. Look at that. It's uh he he crafted a the D and D logo, and I'll be putting that up. So it's a it's a the latest version of the D and D logo, which is super cool. I thank thanks to him. That is very cool. He did, he did it in woodcraft. He, he like. did it in woodcraft. Yes. Yeah, so for the was in podcasting, wow. imagine the modern D and D logo, but in a wood carving. It's excellent job he did. So thank you that for is, that. That is very impressive. I wonder how much he paid uh, the license. What license fee was for him to be able to do uh, that? Fan, okay. fan, war, fan, whatever, fan. So loyalty. <laughs> that was to go to fan content policy, yeah, whatever. Fan content <laughs> Just throw policy. that out there. Uh, you know, fair use, fair use. Fair use, exactly. Uh, well, if we're talking about gifts, okay. would this be a good time? Sure, we could talk about that. Bring up, because uh, can you see that there, James? I can see it. So uh, I think our friends can see it as well. That is, why don't you explain this to them? Sure. So this is a gift. James is always very thoughtful around the holiday times. Otherwise, he's it's not just the holiday times, but thoughtful on the holiday times. He always gets me a gift, which is very nice of him, and he always puts a lot of thought and effort into it. And he bought me Secrets of the Gnomes, a beautiful book about gnomes. And let me just mention a couple things. Not only is it 200 pages in full color, but in addition, do you know what the copyright of this was? Uh, 80, 82? 80. The English translation, you know this book is legit about gnomes when there's an English translation. So apparently it was in the original gnomish. Is when it, right. it came out in the original gnomish. De oprop der Kalbuters. Interestingly, gnomish sounds a bit like German. Who would have thunk it? 1981. Okay. How appropriate is that? I, I knew it was produced in the time frame that would be acceptable. That's That was, the, that was part of the conditions of the gift I got you, so... And, and, and let me, I'm going to read, I know, because uh, you love going along in the show. I'm going to read just so people understand what this book is about. This is the sequel, because as you were candid enough to say, you didn't want to spend that much money on me for the original. Well, the, the, the original is out there, uh, but there's a paperback version. Um, but this one I got because it's a little more subversive. So I figured if you like this one, yeah. you could go back and get the other one. So It is. I know you're talking about like the stream goddess, for example, which... Which we can't show, on, 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 unfortunately, on, on the air. But just use your imagination, my my fellow gnomes. So um, this is very interesting. Rian Portfleet and Will Hugen collaborating once again as they did so successfully in Abrams' best-selling gnomes now reveal to thousands of eager readers their recent encounters in the mysterious world of those tiny folk, Secrets of the Gnomes is the fascinating account of a long, arduous journey undertaken by the authors at the request of the gnomes. It is overflowing with the authors' on-the-scene sketches and firsthand observations. And I'll just give you a little bit more, and then we'll move on, because this is what's really threw me. And this you're going to be shocked by this. I don't know if you read this. Portflit and Hugin are not invited as mere observers, however, for after a meal of mushrooms and cream— Tasting as if it were made of everything that light, air, sun, moon, and earth could produce, they find that they have been turned into gnomes themselves. And that's where the adventure begins. So I will probably be, you know, we should probably have a new segment. Right. You should and see what happens you, to them. Right. You should uh, do that. Well, I, I, I had not seen you mention this 
series of books before, and it it was not as garden gnomey when I looked at it, and I didn't. I didn't. I bought it and I gave it to you because I didn't. I didn't want to peruse it. I didn't. I didn't want to be like, oh, this one's pretty good, but, or be tempted by the gnomish charms that are in there because you know clearly I am, I'm not a friend of the gnomes, as you said. But well, and that's why I didn't mention you know my interest in in these books because I feared that you would then once alerted to them you would defile them. <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I gave it to you. You saw I gave you the package, so you knew yes. I did not touch it at all. all right. If there was any profane or anything that happened to it, it was not my fault. I did not purchase right. that. But it looked really cool. I mean, again, uh, and, and there's actually a collection one that you may want to get that has this one and another one as well. So, uh, again, uh, it, was, it, was, it was my pleasure getting for you. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, James. It's 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 pretty cool, but uh, yeah, there's some pretty subversive things in there, which I thought was cool too. So, uh, very cool. Um, so yeah, get it. It's out there, um, and in fact, they have newer books and all kinds of things. And if you're a nomophile, they're probably your t- the two go to people you need to talk to. Or you like scantily clad women? Yes, either sure. the, either of those. Why if you like both of those? Yes, and they're anatomically off women. Well, okay. I, I guess I really don't have time. To read. Do we have time for me to read this? You have you have as much time as you want. All right, this go is carry our show. On with the show. Yeah, you're right. Carry on with the show. And it's I'll about just, gnomes. Uh, All right. So yeah, after you're ready for that, we're ready for best of 1981. Which is this? Oh my God. Apparently, this is the best of 1981. I think these are those chicken things or turkey things. What are those things? Don't look at. This is turning to stone. Oh, cockatrices. Oh my God! Look, they're surrounded by cockatrices. I don't even see that. That's awesome. Yeah, the ra- raging cockatrices. Ride the cockatrice, yeah. which is that great ride from uh, you know when the carnival comes in. The ride the cockatrice. Yes, with the flesh pole. <laughs> At the flesh pole festival, exactly. <laughs> that's what we should call. That's what we should call yes. the convention: the flesh pole yes. festival. <laughs> yes, the flesh pole festival. Think, we'll get, we probably would get a larger crowd. Right. We get a large, and uh, so you go to the hotel and you go, yeah, we need to reserve a conference. We're doing a convention. Oh, really? Yeah. What's the name of it? Uh, Fleshpole Festival. Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of gnomes with skin that <laughs> women are showing up. It's awesome. Big meat piles everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's awesome. So it's the best of 1981, by the way. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, as our listeners may know, uh, this year we're celebrating 1981, which, of course, was 40 years ago. So, we, you know, I purchased, you know, this book for $6 or so on the Internet, Events of 1981. And uh, so, since the last time we met here, a couple of things that have happened. So, unfortunately, war between guerrillas uh, a guerrilla war with Marcus, Marxist rebels in El Salvador has begun. Okay. Uh, the Iranian government accepts uh, cash uh, being uh, uh, unfrozen in exchange for the hostages. Okay, that's all boring. But Monday the 12th, a TV series starts. Hmm. This TV show is starring Joan Collins. It will start a nine-year run on NBC. James, can you name that show? And don't pretend like you don't know and weren't a big fan. Dynasty, it's definitely Dynasty. You are correct, sir. Dynasty started. Uh, we also ready for this. The thirteenth of January, nineteen eighty-one. Donna Griffiths, twelve. She's twelve, of Pershore, Worcestershire, England, or is it Worcestershire, England? Begins nine hundred and seventy-eight days of something. Can you name what it is? 
978 days of repetitive something twice a minute. Hiccups. That's a very good guess. Sneezing. Sneezing. Mm. <laughs> the first context limbs come on the 14th. Can okay. We wonder, well, she'd be in her 50s now, so she'd be similar age to us. Maybe we can get her on the show. And That would be an excellent guest. We should have her on the show. I agree with that. That's a great idea. Um, I mean, because this is not – what we're doing now is not related to first edition AD&D, so, and we need to get better ratings. Okay, ready for this? On the 15th. A groundbreaking U.S. police drama series is first broadcast on NBC. Name that show. Groundbreaking. Hill Street Blues? You, Sir, you are correct. You're doing excellent. You're two for three. You got the two TV shows right. <laughs> That's all I did was watch TV. I was 11. This is perfect. Um, there's a lot, seems to be a lot of violence in, in England and, in, you know, in, in the London area. The Iran hostage crisis ends. Reagan is sworn into office, of course. The 21st, a sports car is manufactured in Dunmurry, Northern Ireland, the first one of this brand. Can you name it? Yes. Will you go ahead and name the, it, then? The DeLorean. You are absolutely correct, sir. You are like a 1981 trivia machine. It's fa- you know, it's amazing. I lived during that time. How about that? So. Um, yeah, but your memory's so good. Wow. Uh, and I think that is really – so those are, the big, those are the big events for this past couple weeks in 1981. And can you name mm-hmm. the number one song? Uh, Billboard. I, I screwed up the last time. I don't know. I forgot what it was two weeks ago. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, 1981. Eh, let's – REO Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> it's the John Lennon song again. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. That's right, John Lennon. He because starting over. Yeah, starting. Well, he wasn't starting over at that point. He'd been dead for over a month. So, as we mentioned last time. And I forgot. So, you want to know about the uh, TV shows? If if you want, sure. Well, I had them printed out, and now they're now they're gone. Yeah, if, as long as it doesn't lose your connection, then I don't care. How am I doing? So far, you're okay. But I always, I'm always with dread and, and, and trepidation when you when you go off of that. So, and and per the Chamberlain from Australia, who had a wonderful conversation with yesterday, and he is he is working on the tournament slash land resolution. So we're going to probably be able to announce that in March. And uh, while you look that up, just tell me when you're ready. One thing we do need to announce as well is we have a new Patreon Patreon exclusive starting next month. We have a new campaign that you, me, and Rob are going to run for six sessions. Do you, you remember that? I do remember that. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, so we're starting February 27th from 12 to 6 Eastern Standard Time. And Rob, the editor of Flipping and Turning, Dan, and myself will alternate being Dungeon Masters. And so what we'll do is we'll invite uh, our highest tiered patrons and they get the first shot if they want to go. And then it will go down. If some of them can't make it, then it will go the next, the next, the next. So everyone has potentially a chance. The higher tier you are, the more likely you get to play with us. You don't have to play the whole campaign. You could play one time. Uh, it's kind of drop in and drop out. Uh, yes, the Empire game. So uh, and that's just, so it'll be every other month. We're hoping to start in February. It'll be a six session mini campaign ending at the end of the year. It's again, a lot of, we're trying to just keep doing exciting things for the folks who support us. You know, uh, both Dan and I are just so super thrilled with, uh, you know, the discord is going great. People are having a great time. The magazine's going great. It's just well beyond our wildest dreams. Cause you know what happens on this Wednesday, speaking of 
anniversaries. What's this Wednesday? Um, the four-year anniversary from our meeting? Uh, no, that's close. Uh, our first YouTube video was posted on January wow. 27th, two years ago. Wow. Okay. That is quite, that, that is, thank you. I was not aware of that anniversary. And um, I don't know if you're stalling or not, but I've got the shows. Here's, here's the shows from January 12th. Okay. 19, and that was the, when, when Dynasty premieres. That was a Monday. Mm-hmm. I like to switch up the days of the week. You know. So you tell me what you're going to watch. ABC is Dynasty. And this is a new show. Right. Um, on CBS, so apparently it's Dynasty, what, all night, apparently. CBS, MASH, then Flow, oh, Flo. and then Lou Grant. Flow, remember Flow? Flow was a offshoot of Dinah, wasn't it? Is she Eat My Grits? Yeah, she is Eat My Grits. Alice. Alice, not Alice. Yeah, Alice. That's right. Not Diana. Alice. Eat my grits. What was eat my grits? You're right. right. Yes. So that's an, they already had an offshoot of that. Yep. (laughs) That's right. Alice, I guess Alice is very seventies. Lou Grant and then Lou Grant. That's your CBS line. That's, that's pretty good. Mash, Lou Grant. Yeah. And Flo's getting a great spot there between Mash and Lou Grant. And I guess all night on NBC is Little House on the Prairie. What are are you watching, James? Uh, Oh, I'm definitely not watching Little House on the Prairie. I thought that was as lame as it gets. Uh, Yeah, I bet. Flo, mm, Lou Grant, I actually started, I don't know if that was the age I started actually liking that kind of news journalism show. So MASH was getting long in the tooth at that point. Uh, And even that's like, really? That war still going on? Yeah, even at 11, I was kind of like, mm. Uh, (laughs) So I'm, I'm probably... I'm probably playing with my Atari. That's probably what I'm doing. Right, not watching anything. Mm-hmm. Not watching. Wow, anything. no TV night. And just a real quick uh, um, mention, of course. Don't forget that January 30th and February 1st, River City Con is uh, coming up. It's held at the Casumes River College in Sacramento, California. It is sponsored by the college's Office of Community Services. It's going to be featuring. You ready for this? A 300 player AD and D tournament. Wow, James, this is this is. 1981. 1981. Consumes River College in Sacramento is getting a 300-player AD&D tournament plus movies, merchant booths, demonstrations, informal gaming. Uh, more information, please contact Allenson L. Hertzberg, care of the Consumes College Office of Community Services, 8401 Center Parkway, Sacramento, California. Uh, are you going? Uh I'd love to. 300's amazing. If we got thir- we got 40 at GrogCon, a.k.a. the com- convention we are hosting, we would be stunned. 300? Well, I can't imagine. My, my mom won't let me go. <laughs> she won't let you go across the country to do that? No. No. She says, oh, I have to wait for a tournament to come into I, our town, and that's not happening. That, that is not happening. So, I can't even go to Gen Con South in Jackson. <laughs> okay, it's a little, it's a little <laughs> bit far it's too far away. I'm not driving you up there. Freaking right? What am I going to do all day? Yeah. Go to the movies. The only, it's the only time I, right. She, she, yeah, my mother would not do that. I, I, I had to be old enough. I would go in the city and go to the conventions there. That's what have to happen. But that was much older. It was not, yeah. that was not even in a realm of possibility. I don't, I, again, if you just had the Holy Trinity and maybe you, you then started getting the magazines, did you actually realize people got together? You just, you know, I don't even think it was even a concept. It's just like, you don't get together to play Monopoly, right? You just you, pl- right. you played Monopoly. I'm, you know now there are Monopoly tournaments and conventions, but when you bought Monopoly or Stratego, you didn't go, "Hey, we should 
go to the Stratego convention. That's kind of how I thought about D&D at the time. You, I really didn't put those together until much later. All right, now we're on to... Um, we're on to talk about traveling in D&D, and we'll bring Vic on in a few minutes. We're going to talk lay the groundwork, because he wants to talk about encounters and hex crawling. But first, we're going to talk about uh, traveling in D&D. So this is on page 47 uh, of the DMG. And I did go on Discord uh, asking people about this as well. So the what Gary says in the DMG is that as a precursor to this, you should have a hex map. And again, what's interesting is what they expected. Naturally, the initial adventuring in the campaign will be, will be those in a small community nearby underground maze. And then for whatever reason, player desire, quest or geese or gaius, or because of your own direction, adventuring will sooner or later move to the outdoors. What you must do to handle this is not difficult, following the general procedures given below. So again, the idea is, and we've, there's a lot of DM videos out there how to DM, and the, you know, the basic good advice is you start with the small town, with the small dungeon, you get people familiar with the game, you start the plot, and then at some point, uh, you're going to have, they're going to want to travel beyond traveling to the town, you know, it's a mile away, half a mile away, that kind of thing. And they're going to do some large-scale traveling. And so there's a bunch of ways to do that. Well, can I – so so let's say I'm the I'm, – I'm a first-level – I've finished my apprenticeship with the local guy who's like third – I don't know how level he got to be. Third or fourth, to, yeah. Something. Okay, so he's like amazing to me, right? I mean – Well, fourth level is like, a hero, right? Fourth-level yeah, so, fighter is a hero. Yeah, so there's like this hero in this town. He's head of the militia. He's trained me, but now I'm ready to look. I want to go to the big city. So what do I need? My mom's very worried. She doesn't want me to go, but I'm going. Well, that's not uh, how this version of it is. When they, well, at least if the way I read it, is somehow you magically showed up at this town. You start the in this. You start at the. You're at the Rusty Dagger, like Pixie and Glades. Right. We don't know how you got there. We don't. We're not going to roll for random encounters and kill you on the way there. You've gotten there. You do your adventuring, you've done what you need to do in this town, and now uh, you're at the point that you must travel from this town to your next adventure, whatever that is. And so really, you know, and where I was heading this, I'd like to know what, what equipment, what do I need? So I'm ready to travel. What kind of, what, what should I be buying to travel? So I'm going to need a, a steed. I don't know. I don't need a steed. I don't know why I said that, right? But I assume I'm going to need... Well, it, it depends how you're going to travel. And that goes back to why you need, as the DM... Again, the idea is you start like we did with Pixie and Glades. You start at the Rusty Dagger. It's a small hamlet. There's a, there's a tomb. Now the clock is ticking for me, the DM, to start fleshing out some of the things. Perhaps there's a river a mile away, and the, the big town I want to get to is at the river. Well, then I don't need a horse because I probably would take the river might be faster, as we'll find out. Or maybe it's mountainous. Well, then now I need cold gear. So I think your question is then predicated on the DM doing some work to figure out what's around there. Okay, gotcha. If that's, All right. that's my take on it. But so let's just say for argument's sake, uh, again, using Pixie and Glades in the small hamlet, there was a road 
they came from a big town. The town is, in this case, it's a town. It's not a city. It's 10 miles away. You can either walk or you can take a horse. But then the city is 70 miles away by road. Probably would want a horse if you could get one. What do, if I am a smaller player, I'm a halfling, or what am I riding? A diminutive oh, pony. They have ponies in the player's handbook. I see. 15 gold pieces. Can I ride a goat? Why not? <laughs> What's the advantage of having a pony over a goat? I guess goats are, are slow. You're, I mean, we're only going to be as fast as our slowest person. True. Right? So if we've got small characters, if we have a dwarf or a halfling. Well, they, well you could have them ride with you on the horse. That would be mm-hmm. That's probably the smartest thing to do. Okay. Or you put them okay. in the cart. Or if you have a priest of Dionysus, they have to be in the cart. That's right. That's right. All those, right, all the Greek uh, ones, I believe, yeah. except for. Except for one. Apollo? I think Apollo. Um, okay. All right. There is a fact that we have that later in our lives we'll go, why do I know that? That is, that's really a, a, a very obtuse fact. But It is obtuse. We should have asked Jim about it when we have the show. <laughs> We asked him about the more important thing, which was the Aphrodite mentioned. That's what that was. What was important? So, so here, so 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 travel. So it, obviously, it's important if there's going to be encounters along the way, right? Other than that, I mean, for most DMs, you're not going to be unless you're doing a hex crawl. The travel is just okay. You get time might matter. If, if you have to go somewhere and come back, like I think I remember one adventure when I was running the Pelinor campaign, you had to ride back to town. I can't remember why, but you rode back to town, and I actually had done the weather. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we should mention, too, in this as well, sure. is that if you're going to do all this, you really should also be doing weather, shouldn't you? Because that has that would have an effect. I mean, I'm, I recall when you were riding back, I'd done weather, and it was snowing heavily. Right, and, and I think a lot of what... If this is the next quote-unquote level kind of DMing, which is the first level. It's very easy. You put it in the... And what are you trying to accomplish with this outside world? To me, the outside world, I want to have that, that famous word verisimilitude, the idea that the world's a living, breathing thing, and it's not just the weight screen between different dungeons. You know, you go from one dungeon and then the weight screen and you go to another dungeon or you go to town. So that's... You know, the journey is the adventure kind of thing. I see Vic saying hex crawling is the adventure. So, um, yeah, you should have weather if you can remember. You should have the seasons could have it. You should describe some of that. It it makes your world real. And one of the controversies we'll talk about is, you know, when you deal with encounters, how real do you want to make them? There's, There's a lot of, you know, especially newer games. Your encounters are balanced, whereas first edition and other older editions classically have unbalanced editions. Here, here, the difficulty for me is that it seems to me that there's a tension between preparing an adventure and then saying, I'm going to create this world and, and allow things to happen sort of organically. And, and, and let the players have a lot of free will and what happens. So, you know, if, if I, so, okay, what, what, what are you running? You're running an adventure tonight? So, so I'm in a group of yours and, and you've created this world. And so I guess you're going to have me travel 
to the route, right? So the ruins or whatever, right? Or whatever, right? I'm, I'm going to the city because the route yeah. is 70 you've, miles away. You've finished, you've finished the adventures in this hamlet. You've saved Alyssa. You've found out the mystery of the tower. And there ain't nothing, unless you're going to start farming, you, you, right. you've heard that. A dragon's the, been killed. Yeah, the dragon's <laughs> been killed near the city. And you're going to go try to find its treasure. So you're headed Everywhere. back that way. So I'm going 70 miles. So, okay, so I assume, have you, have you have you written an adventure? I assume you've written an adventure for when I arrive at the city, correct? Maybe not. Oh, okay, because, so so what you're saying is that you may do it, is the next session's adventure is just the travel. Correct. Okay. If, if I and, want to emphasize it, then yes, that's what I would do. I would absolutely do that. And that's, this is a real skill, it seems to me, because I assume what you've done is you've not written. I mean, you, you know the road. And, and, and Gary gives information for encounters and things like that. But have you pl- are you so for the travel, are you planning anything or are you just going to have it? Are you just is it going to be a true? And I assume, you know, Vic will talk about this. Is it going to be a true just sort of random hex crawl yeah. um, that you've not really prepared anything and you actually got to wing, you know, wing it when something comes up? I prefer that. But if there is something I want to have happen to do that, then I would plan that. I would not plan the rest of it. So when I was running the giant series and, you know, they have to go from the steading of the hill giant to the Jarl's place on the real Greyhawk, it's, it's not right next to each other. You've got to travel there. And in the against the giants, there is especially the newer version where they compile all the giants and the drow. It has random tables for that. So, I just rolled it, and and one of the encounters was a storm giant. I'm like, oh my crap! So they, you know, and they had been murdering giants all over the place, and they realized probably shouldn't murder this giant that's summoning lightning bolts. And <laughs> and because the giants were basically revolting against the order, you know, that's more of a fifth edition thing. Is you know, the idea that the the storm giants are at the top, then the cloud giants, you know, they have their pecking order regardless of alignment. Storm giants pissed. Yeah, he, he, I rolled. He has two rocks, you know, the big giant bird thing. So he said, hey, I'll let you use them if you go. Because they freed the storm giant, storm giantess. And so I said, oh, this random storm giant is the mate of the storm giant they freed. Oh, see, that's, that's very good because that's what you've got to do. You've got to do it on the fly. Right. And that's, so and that's, that's what I did on the fly. I didn't plan it, and that worked right. out. There's other times it's not going to work out. So you can kind of go, yeah, this random stuff didn't work out. But that, that case, uh, it did. So I like doing that. That's what makes it fun. But it also depends. So, for instance, you're not going to have an adventure if they have a, a ring of teleport or they have a teleport spell because they're going to go bloop and they're going to be there. But right. in this case, they're lower level. They're going to have to travel. And as you notice, so on page 47, it, I know there's going to be an encounter based on how many days and how they're traveling will determine how many chances they'll have an encounter. If it's pretty likely to have an encounter, this may be the whole trip. I mean, this may be the whole session for them traveling there. So part of what I'm going to look at is where they're coming from, how they're going to get there, and that'll kind of give me an idea how many encounters, and then I can kind of work my way backwards to that. So, and you could you could you could roll it in advance, right? You could do all this in advance if you wanted to, absolutely. If I have time, but normally I don't because it's more fun rolling it. 
Uh, and, I, and, I, and I like how, you know, maybe it's counterintuitive, but it makes sense. I like how, of course, if you're in a relatively dense area, the chance of encounter is lower because I guess you scared away all the monsters, right? As you go to an uninhabited area, your chance of encounter increase. It sounds counterintuitive, but of course it's because you're in the middle of nowhere. More monsters are going to be in the middle of nowhere as opposed to, I assume, in, in a really inhabited right. and, area. And the idea of encounters. Uh, so we're looking at the bottom 47. You have 1 in 20 chance relatively dense, 1 in 12 moderately, and 1 in 10 uninhabited. And then what's nice is it says frequency of encounters. So if you're, if you're in the forest, but on a road, let's just say, you're going to check a lot. But you're going to get you're going to get through it pretty quickly. Yeah. So the worst is the worst, obviously, is if you are either in a marsh or a forest, right? I think those are the two that you check. Right. What is it? Six six, six times. times. Yep. Basically every four hours. And if you are in a forest or a marsh, I'm going to assume that this is uninhabited slash wilderness, probably. So six times one in ten chance. So actually, I think on average you will get an encounter. A day, Every, I guess. Well, you have a 50-50 chance of having a 6 in 10 chance yeah. per day. So within two days, you probably are going to have an encounter. Yeah, so, um, okay. So that was very helpful. And uh, now you got to figure out this, how long it's going to take you. And I know there's a chance for you to get lost as well, correct? Yeah, we'll talk about lost in a second, which I, some people used, some people didn't. And, and, you know, when we did our hex crawl with Vic, we were getting lost. Remember, we could cast yeah. around. Yeah. We couldn't figure out that the mountain's that way. Right. So, what happened to that mountain? Why is that mountain behind us now? Right. Vic was not being nice to us either. I mean, in theory, if we've been to the place, we should, we're not that morons, but I guess we are. So, uh, yeah, we are. Right. So again, this is so like what people are saying is, let's say I didn't write the next adventure, but we got an adventure. Well, this is a perfect time to basically blow off a session and then wander around. And so, you know, as the adventurers, they better have food because they could get lost or they better have people who can forge. Uh, they better have food for their mounts. You know, horses need to eat. If you're going through the desert, you got to feed them. In the campaign that Tom is running, you know, we had we had to have carts with our provisions because we're going through the desert. Yes, I noticed that. I, it, it was discussed. I can't remember what it, maybe it was discussed on flying mounts. Yes, it was. Out, yeah, how expensive? The typical Gary, right? Explaining how expensive they are, what you've got, what you have to feed them. Yeah, on page uh, fifty it, under Griffins, so, it says that. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a it's a different kind of game than many people play because again, it is keeping track of it. You know, okay, your horse is looking weak. I give him some oats. Do you have any? No. Okay. Well, I let him eat something. All right. Where's the pasture? Yeah. You know, it's that kind right? I mean, it's that kind of game. And some people like it. Some people don't. Well, I guess the history of D&D, as I've heard from a number of sources, is that obviously original D&D didn't have any of this. And you would use, just like you'd use chainmail for combat, You'd use the Avalon Hill Overland Encounter board game if you wanted to move from town to town, and they used that to figure out the encounters. So you basically had this third-party game to do that. Yeah, and I got to tell you, so I sat down last night, I was flipping through this and turning. It seemed in some respects a little wargamey to me, right? We're dealing with hexes and movement rates and a lot of adjustments. What's your, you know, so if you played war games, you know, of course, you got the different terrains for each hex. And so it's like, because you got to find the movement rates. It's a little bit 
in a different place, right? I mean, it's nearby. It's in the neighborhood, yeah, right? Yeah, it's page 58. So, so 58, right? So you've got movement, right? You, you've got – they're talking about – there's movement on 49 and getting lost, but to get to the movement rate, you got to go all the way to 58. It's, so getting you mean lost, it's not organized, the DMG, in a, in a logical right? manner? Right. I'm shocked. Gambling in Casablanca. So, yeah, so the uh, this this is the one – 58 is the one I use the most just because – uh, yeah, that to me is the most significant. How long does it take to get from point A to point B? Um, and so I use this chart on on occasion when I was was DMing. And that's why when for the hex crawl that we were doing, I always suggested the water because you can see moving at sea is fifty miles a day sailed versus you know if you have a road, yeah, that's fine. If you're light, you can get up to sixty, but it's more likely you're probably going to go twenty five or thirty. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, and, 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 and that makes sense not only from a speed point, but if you are, in fact, if your DM is going to treat it as a hex crawl and your goal is to live, tra- it sounds – look, we, hill giants are common. We know this. Right. Trolls are uncommon. I mean, you know, look at the number of, of, of chance of encounter and what you could encounter. I mean, when we were doing Vix's hex crawl, didn't we encounter like 100 hobgoblins yeah, or exactly, something? exactly, right. That's right. Going down the street. You know, it sounds to me like the idea of D&D is that wandering in the middle of nowhere, on, even though it's a road, thank you for somebody building putting this road there, is, is very dangerous Correct. and very scary, right? And so you, you should really try to avoid o- overland. Is that, is that one of the lessons? Yes. Avoid overland. If, as- your D, if your DM is going to do it, play it that way. A lot of DMs don't play it that way. You're like, okay, you're there. Right. But and and but it's really the only time you have to use it is early to mid level because later levels, they're going to have magic. They're going to teleport. They're going to fly there. They're going to have mounts there, and travel yeah. becomes less of an issue. Like first class and all that's like a private jet versus I'm right. yeah. um, the schmuck, schmuck who's you know in coach next to the bathroom. Yeah, because as we read later in flying, if you have a boots of flying or whatever carpet you're going to go 100 miles a day roughly so so that means you can look up like you know now now how you look up and now you can actually see every now and then you see like something going through it's like a drone maybe or something like, what is that that's like in D, it's like some dude on a magic car you're like look like what is that some dude on a magic carpet <laughs> with, the camp, with the trail across yeah exactly yeah right so there's this like there's like drone traffic like with magic carpets and then like a dude in a hippogriff like way up there, you're like, what? What is that? Like, I think that's a, is that a hippogriff? Yeah, I mean, what you would do, or I would do, is I'm sure the party would do it, and we used to. They, my party would. Someone gave them a portable hole, not you. Some, your other cohort gave the party a portable hole. So what they would do is, once they had teleport, the magic user would hold the portable hole. They all jump in the portable hole. They'd cast teleport, and poof, they were there. Now, if the magic user rolled bad, game over. But you know, they were willing to take. They'd rather take the one or two percent chance that they would be, you know, him be embedded in the bedrock than traveling ten days across whatever. Yeah, it's like a rocket ship. It's more dangerous, but I'll take it. It's faster. I just right. can't. I, I can drive and it'd be slower. But yeah, I don't want to do that. Okay, so um, I thought the flying mount. You know, I never dealt with flying mounts because, well, number one, I didn't play a lot of high-level campaigns, and I just never really thought about it. You know what I think is interesting is that, as, as is so often the case, mm-hmm. you find interesting information about other stuff 
in other sections of the DMG. So this was just sort of an interesting discussion of griffins, hippogriffs, and 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 pegasi. Right. You know. So in other words, if if you're in, like, let's say you want, let's say we were talking about pegasi that came up as a random monster, I wouldn't really think to look on page fifty of the DMG. Yeah. To learn about pegasi. But you do, right? You learn you learn how one will eat the other. Do they get along with each other? What do they eat? So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and and I haven't had that, but that's you know going back to there's two parts of this. One is a party adventure, and then there's a lot of references to large units moving through. So again, the game that you and I didn't play that much is the idea. Now you have a kingdom. Right? You can't teleport 150 men or 300 men in their horses. Now you are traveling across. And, you're, and some encounters you're not going to have, as it says here, because uh, I don't know if it's in here or it's in the encounter area. You know, 20 bugbears are not going to attack a caravan with 300 soldiers, you know, an army that's going through. They're going to be like, mm, no thanks. Uh, they're they're going to be, whereas, you know, I don't know, the 20 trolls may attack. You know, like they did in Vic's hex crawl. They're like, I don't care. We can't kill us. We're gonna we're gonna take our chances and attack you because we're hungry. Oh yeah, I assume a lot of hex crawling is literally, should literally just be you handing over all your stuff. You're basically naked. Like, <laughs> thanks for not killing me. But they just say, take all your stuff. You're not even worth killing. They're just like, yeah, give us everything. It's a shakedown. A lot of shakedowns. Okay. There's a lot of shakedowns if, if you're weak, and that's why, you, sh- you know, I always, we try to go with a caravan, or we try to go on a boat, because boats, as we find, because it's, of course, as we said, not very organized. This is great, this little chart on page 47. How many times do you check? What's the chance? Okay, what if I'm on a boat? Oh, that's in the back. You, if you want to low, how, how many times you get attacked on a boat, you have to go into random encounters, you go under... Waterborne Encounters in Appendix C, page 190. Then it asks if you're on freshwater or saltwater. Freshwater. Encounters occur 1 in 20. Check morning, evening, and midnight. So oh. there you're only, only it's a 5% chance three times. So you were likely, if you go a week, you maybe have one encounter. It may be horrible because the sea creatures are very terrifying. Uh, but... Uh, you're very. You're less likely to be attacked by things in the water. Uh, I'm sorry. I just was like the city town encounter table. Some of the things yeah. that you encounter. Why am I encountering a night hag? <laughs> it's only at night. Wow, that's rough, man. I'm like just in this town, and it's like you get a night hag. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Or a vampire lich. Lich. Tw- right. You have a, a one. Uh, a one in. Yeah. One in whatever. One in two. What. 0.25% chance of running a into a lich. In town. Yeah. At night. Yeah. Or a will-o'-wisp. What's a will-o'-wisp doing in town? But okay. So. Not that we digress. Right, right. So so uh, traveling by boat is obviously better. So tell me some of the ways. So you've mentioned some of the ways that I can magically travel. Right. Well, first, so we have land, right, which is the most common. You could get lost. And obviously, the more dense... Um, and you know, as a DM, it's a lot of busy work to try to figure this out, but they give you a hex thing and you're supposed to be nice to your, to your, um, players. If they go by the same place, they're supposed to figure that out. Vic, um, then, 
Uh, and, and as we need to note that I only – I'm not going to get lost if I'm following a road, thankfully, right, or, or a river. Or if someone a, has knowledge of the area. Right. Now, what if I have a ranger? I mean I'm not trying to make say that rangers know all or – you know, but – so I can get lost, I guess, with a ranger? You, you, I mean, you could. Tell? I'm sorry? I mean the sun. I mean, you know, can I? No, I'm going the wrong direction based on. But I guess people do get lost. I mean, yeah, they get lost all the time if they don't know what they're doing. Rangers, uh, rangers. I would at at a best, if it's in their home area, if they're, if they're from this area, you know, you couldn't get lost in my opinion. If they were going through an area that they're not familiar with, they would reduce the chance of getting lost by a lot. Yeah, especially how I, how broken the tracking thing is. Especially if you're tracking people, right? Then I don't think they would get lost. There should be a chance, especially if they're you're tracking magical creatures. But yeah, you could, or you're tracking somebody who's lost. Right, that's right. We totally follow, are tracking them. Follow these dudes. They're right. surely they know where they're going. Right. Oh, they're following me. You and right. right. That happens all the time. Like I'm in I'm in the subway or you know an airport and. And you, or you're driving, you don't know where you're going. People are, I'm like, don't follow me. I have literally no idea what I'm talking about. So, yeah, seven in 10 chance of getting lost in the forest in any direction. Right. Seven in 10, six in 10 in a marsh, any direction. That is rough. At least the plane is only a, a one in 10. So, uh, that, of course, is, yeah, so you got to do it right. You've got to calculate. So, so what's my movement rate? Wait, what am I riding? What's the terrain like? Calculate the movement rate, then figure out. You have a road, so it really does encourage you to to follow a road and and maybe find water or pay for a guide. So this, you know, goes back to your smart players are going to go. Oh, I heard there's a tower in the in the wilderness, uh, it, and and you know the bartender goes it's that way. You may want to find someone who's been there and pay them to go take you there. Yeah, boy, this is, you know, I think you got to have a lot of time. You got to have the right players, the right DM, a lot of time. You're really, you're really talking a, a very different vibe, right? You know, this is, this is a big deal, in my opinion. Right. To play way. It's very time consuming. People got, you got to have people that don't sigh, right? About, okay, all right, how long is the horse? You know, how many miles do I have the oats? We're rolling for all the random encounters. We never even get to the ruin. You know, you told me we're, we're the ruins. So, yeah, all right. Well, but it could be fun. I mean, it could be a lot of fun, right? Because it's very – I like random. Yeah. It could be so for me, I don't emphasize unless this is really a gritty, gritty game, the, you know, how many – did you buy the proper pounds of feed for your horses? You know, especially if they're third level, they got money. I'm going to say, yeah, they buy it. And unless there's a disaster – yeah, they've got it. But why I like, and you know, if if Vic, if you're on, if you want to come on and talk about hex crawling, just get on uh, Skype and I'll call you. Um, the reason I like hex crawling because it fleshes out your world on the fly. Mm-hmm. It forces you to figure things out. So another random encounter, I rolled up Minotaur in this hills area. So I'm like, well, why is there a minotaur here? And I just kind of made it up as you did it. And now there was a maze. And they either could uh, go through the maze in that little minotaur area or they could just keep moving on. Or they wrote down, oh, there's this minotaurs and mazes, you know, because they killed one and the other one ran into the maze. Like, well, we're not going after him uh, because who knows what else is in there. So 
it, it forces you to flesh out things that you normally would not do. Uh, I got a random Minotaur, and they were like, okay, we're going to follow this Minotaur. I'm just grabbing B2. I'm like, okay, fine. You yeah. find a little <laughs> area. Yeah. And, and that's why there's a lot of, there's, that's why there's a lot of supplements. Uh, there's a lot of supplements for that. Well, the Book of Layers came out and all these other things. That's what's, So you want those things in your back pocket so you don't have to kind of make this up on the fly. How many people can fit on a broom of flying or a carpet of flying? Because, you know, so I've got the broom, which is funny, too, because then I guess you're sitting there. You're in town. So, like, you're in this town, and, like, people are landing, like, on a broom of flying. So you're just, like, sitting outside of whatever bar, and, like, a dude lands on a broom of flying and, like, goes in. Yeah, I, I would probably say we— I would land outside like a spaceship, you know, when they always land outside because you don't want people to see you have a broom of flying. It's like a little broom of flying, like a little landing area. And like you put your broom of flying there and you come back and get it and you like lock it up. You got like a little bike lock. Yeah. Cause that's just, that's just asking for people to steal your stuff. Right. So I definitely wouldn't do that. I would, I would be like, uh, come back to that. All right. So now I'm, uh, Look what we have on, and we're fading, and we're we're moving you in. Hello, Vic. How are you? Hey, how are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. We're talking about movement and this and that. And so now the next part of this discussion, we were just going to talk about magic, which you brought up, and then talk about um, random encounters and hex crawls. So, Vic, what magic items can people use to avoid this terrible hex crawling? <laughs> Well, okay. Let's see. You got teleportation. You got all the spells. You got gate spells. You got uh, you got what are the the carpet of flying? You got uh, the broom of flying. You've got uh, let's let's keep going here. Don't isn't there the um, oh? Since we're not you using can tele the, you can teleport. Um, there's potions, there's potions of flying. Potions, potions of flying. Of flying. The ring of flying. Levitation. I, I didn't, there's levitation, but levitation moves up and down. Unless you have a way to forward, you're kind of mm -hmm. not helping. And I want to go back a little bit. You guys were talking about combat and stuff. And, uh, in the uh, book that shall not be named, there's something called the Rod of Security. You can actually get 200 troops into a Rod of Security, teleport with the Rod of Security to wherever you're going, hit the rod on the ground, and you can have 200 troops right around you. So <laughs> it's it's just a way that you, you can startle an enemy pretty quickly if you use a Rod of Security. So. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, that that book. I, I, some there's some tome out there with items that you could. Basically, you're like teleport teleport an army army of teleporting. Um, uh, so, so you've got boots of speed. You've got the amulet yeah. of the planes. You've got. I mean, there's so many things you could use to move around with. You yeah. know, the chariot of Sister, the druid spell, water right. walking wishes, horseshoes, and Zephyr's Baba Yaga's hut. <laughs> yeah, so there's, mean, there's all kinds of. Uh, Things right. that you could use to make it easier slash better. Some are more right. obvious than others. Qualish's apparatus or whatever that is, you know, the little crab-like monster thingy you can you can you can go through through the forest or whatever with, you know. Of course, if you have an artifact or something like that, you're 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 probably not as concerned about random encounters for the most part, because right. you have an artifact. 
And did you know this is you interesting? Are the, you are the encounter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're the problem. But, but remember, guys, when you get to that level, you're at eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh level. You're you're starting in that semi-retirement mode of, as a character. So that you, I mean, Gary's built this into the system where you're you're semi-retiring your characters because they've got how keeps to do, or they've got houses to maintain. They've got you know all this other stuff they've got to maintain. So it does sort of take the sales out of the game at that point because there's no danger really when you get to that point. It's like, oh, 200 hobgoblins. So I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to drop a 8d6 fireball in their midst. And if that doesn't work, I got a you know a lightning bolt. I you know help this uh, help this encounter along. You know. Yeah, they, 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 but if you're a personal character, you run up to 20 hobgoblins. You're running for your lives, you know. <laughs> as, as we as we well know, exactly. So, and you mentioned barbarians and rangers and druids. I mean, uh, right. you know, this is you don't want to penalize the, if they're especially a poor druid, right? He does nothing half the time. He's in the dungeon. This is the time to you know really give them an opportunity to shine. Right, and I, and I, I look at it this way. I use it as a hierarchy. As as I I put a list up as what I'm doing this. Like a druid was in the woods all the time, some are in the environment all the time. They've got, they know the sun. They know how the sun, you know, rises and east, sets in the west. They look at the moons and they can do all this stuff. And they're so used to, they're so in tune with the environment that getting lost is next to impossible. Rangers, I mean, they're right there with them, you know, but they're more fighter-like and stuff like that. Barbarians are in tune with the nature around them and the surroundings that they're at, so they'll have a better thing. And it gets keeps going down further down the list. I mean, just a plain old fighter, he's looking up at the sky going, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or they got that, you know, that they got the... I got no clue where I'm at sort of thing. You know, I mean, you're your magic user, but you know, you, you two characters that were, were walking around in the, in the mountains of uh, the stone fist and the snow barbarians or whatever it was up in that region, you know, you guys are totally out of your element. Right. It's a winter time. It was, you know, you, you guys are from the sea. Yeah. We're, sea fish, coast. we're fisher people in the sea, right. in the lower plane. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm sure, you do the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, right? But you're just like, yeah. <laughs> and and oh, so you have the fecal cat back, not the feral cat. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fe- fecal cat. <laughs> the, feral, the feral cats were adopted out. They're doing very well. Okay, good. So, um, so Vic, you know, obviously you're a huge fan of hex crawls. You've you've done it a number of times. We thank you for that. So, what do you like about them? And the questions I would have for you is do you balance your encounters at all or you just roll them what you roll and does each each encounter have to be a combat and and let's know what you do okay no not every encounter is a combat because some of the time when you roll on the list you get something on the list that says like oh um you get a monster that only operates during the daytime. You know what I mean? It just moves around in the daytime or whatever. So you're just like, well, I'll throw this one right out the window. It doesn't even count. It doesn't matter. Um, but what I do to help out players and stuff like that is I'll roll for the encounter. Or I'll Actually, what I do normally is to get the players more involved is what I'll do is I'll say, all right, James, roll a 10-sided die. Dan, roll a 
percentage die. And I'll keep going around. I'll keep asking questions and they'll roll these numbers in while I'm looking them up in the book instead of me looking. And then I'll go, all right, now let's see if they're in their lair. So James, roll the lair. You'll roll you know, 65%. Well, it's not their lair. Now roll me another percentage die. And when instead of me um, saying it's a, like a D20 or whatever, I'll figure out if it's especially big group of characters like hobgoblins or goblins or, um, you know, some, some other large humanoid band, I'll roll a percentage. So if Dan rolls, you know, 22%, well, it's 22% of 200, which is 46 of them will be, you know, these you run into a small group of, of orcs running around, you know, there's 46 of them. Do you take them on or what do you do? You know? So I, I try to do it that way. And then most of my people, what I do is I sell them mount up, get mounts or everything else. But I, you know, I still got groups that go, I don't want to remount. So they've get the brunt of the problems, you know, because there's fight, flight, or negotiate. And most of my groups, you know, will, you know, use the flight rule, especially if they know they ain't going to win. So, right. And, and I, I, you know, back to fleshing out areas, you know, uh, I think uh, Menyon, also known as Rob, who's a good friend of ours, he did a whole hour of his podcast on, uh, which I listened to, it was good about, you know, goblins and that they're four to 400, right? And the monster manual says four to 400. So like, like Vic says, right there, he rolls a random encounter goblin. And all of a sudden you got, potentially four to 400 goblins, but that's, they, they could be in the lair. We're not near the lair. So that's a, like he said, he did the percentages and it's the patrol of goblins that they run into or some version of that. You don't have to have your little adventuring party show up and there's, you know, 300 goblins with seventh level, you know, trolls and ogres and everything else. You can, you can adjudicate. Right. That. But I mean, I mean, you, we also got to consider too, that if there's 300 goblins, they're out for a purpose, and usually it's a war purpose, or they're moving or something. While a smaller band would be 30, 40 of them would be more like foraging, or they're raiding, or something like that. They're a, they're a, they're a group on a mission to to collect things for the collective and stuff. You know, I mean, a three hundred goblins and you see them moving through the through the woods or something. They're on a mission to go do something, and there isn't like. You know, Frank Metzer said it uh, best when I was talking to him, and he said, you know, there's always signs. The bigger the group you're encountering, the more signs there are going to be on the ground or on the trees or whatever. So, you know, if it's only two or three goblins that are going to try to attack you, you might not know they're there. You know, there's no signs that wildlife is, you know, normal. You hear the chirping of the birds and everything else. But if you encounter 300, you know, you're going to have smoke you're gonna have debris left behind there's you know it's not everything leaves no trace you know and you've got other factors that you got to get into for the tell the players and stuff like this what's going on now you can switch this around to go back to something like a hippogriff they're flying around looking for horse meat you know you don't know it's going to happen unless your players are paying attention. All of a sudden, these hippogriffs are on them, like no, no time flat and, you know, attacking them. So you got to take each monster and figure out a dynamic of how they're going to want to attack this, this group. You know, a troll comes up from underneath a bridge, you know, I mean, this, the classic sort of thing, you know. 
So each encounter, a DM should, should have something preset in their mind of what they want to do and then try to execute it to the point that, and that's why I try to make the players roll everything because I'm trying to come up with a little scenario of what's happening here and stuff and things that are going to happen. Like, you know, oh, you find an orc arrow on the ground or something like that, and you're walking, and now you're seeing lots of feet that have crossed the roadway from left to right, you know, or something like that. So using a dynamic, you gotta, you got to have that dynamic story sort of thing going on in, in the encounters. Have you put in, so for instance, on page 182, in your hex crawls, uninhabited areas will occasionally have fortresses when an encounter is indicated one in twenty discovers a stronghold. Have you done that? How do you how do you handle that? Okay, uh, I use uh, um, Anna Myers GHMaps.net. If you go on there, she's got an online map thing, so I'll use that a lot. Where I pull up a map and I figure out how far you guys are crawling across, and she's got a lot of stuff already marked out, like where the uh, Temple of Elemental Evil is, and some of the other stuff is already marked there. So I don't really have to worry about that too much. But every once in a while, when I'll run into, I'll like roll like bandits. I'll have like, oh, there's an abandoned fort or something like that. You're coming, you're you're traveling along, and oh, you're looking and you see, oh, there's an abandoned fort. 400 yards away, you know, are you going to go in, are you going to go to it? Or, you know, you see smoke coming in from it or something. Again, you're dealing with a large number. They're going to leave a trace. You're going to have to do it. You know, you're going to have to give some type of clues to your, to your party. Right. Right. So, so Dan, you know, yeah, you could roll this up ahead of time or you can go, uh, on the fly, you know, again, it's, it's, it's how deep you want to get into some of these because they do get a little noodly, like a, s- a settlement. You could be rolling a lot of dice to figure out what kind of settlement, well, who's in right. it, what kind of mounts they have, what kind of armor, blah, 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 blah. I mean, do you roll all that out or you just kind of go, okay, I get it, they're bandits and I'm just going to say they have, you know, chain mail or ring mail and spear and that kind right. of thing. Right, well, everything's laid out in the monster manual for most of that stuff. And, and and But one of the things I don't get into is if 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 a character, my groups usually have a druid in it, uh, usually there's a ranger somewhere in there. So I don't really get into the, the iron rations and stuff like that. I make everybody get some, but... I figured as they're going through the woods, the druid's going, oh, look, you know, I'm picking these berries as I'm walking along, or I'm doing this, or I'm doing that. So they've always got food, except for when I get into the extremes, like um, you're in the snow, or you're in the mountains in the snow, or you're in the desert and stuff like that. When you start getting into the extreme weather conditions, and they're way out of their element, then I start going, well, yeah, food, you know. Then I start ticking things off on my list and going, okay, well, you had two weeks worth of food and you haven't found anything to hunt, you know. So that's when I start adding more, you know, more things they've got to cross the threshold, you know. And and obviously so, you're a big Greyhawk fan, so you use uh, her maps, but it's in the context of Greyhawk it's, and the, the folio, right. which came out last year, right, then? And, 1980, the folio? Folio edition was 1980, right. that is correct. Then you've got also in there, um, I put it up on the chat, 
if you guys look, you've got the weather calculator. Somebody has done the Greyhawk weather calculator that you can figure out weather conditions too. You know, it's like, oh, you guys are moving into the snow barbarians. Well, let's see what the weather's like. Uh, what kind of equipment do you have on? You know, are you freezing to death? Are you, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the Dragon Magazine Greyhawk weather was a little bit cumbersome to use, right? Because in one of the Dragon Magazines, it had Greyhawk weather, if I recall. Right. But you had to like figure out the latitude and the longitude or whatever. There's a lot of a lot of calculations. Right. And that's why I use this one that's online. It's just so much easier. I can run a month's worth of weather for somebody and go, okay, here it is. It's the first day of need fest or whatever or first day of need fest. Let's let's here's what the weather is outside. You know. Well the one nice thing about the Dragon magazine one though, if I recall correctly, is they had things like omens, didn't they? Like a you could have a rainbow or something. You know, that would be kinda nice. I mean, I don't know if the one online has that too, but you know no. I so oh, I okay. no, but it does have stuff like blizzards and light snow and hurricanes. They have well, they have there's different <laughs> ones. I, I haven't used Vix one, but the, the one I use off of Donjon has it's a weather one, and you can set the moons, and it can have the same periods as the Greyhawk. It's it's not going to be as geograph geographically precise as the Greyhawk weather, but it does have. The eclipses, when the two moons are, you know, when if there's an eclipse, if there's a, if both of them are waxing and waning, and it does have omens, or and it, and it also has like Vic, which I like too, is hurricane or blizzard or something like that, and and because it just adds the flavor to that. But if they're traveling, you know, this goes back to how much time you want to spend this. If they're traveling from the forest subtropic to the mountains Arctic or whatever. Now you've got the weather changing as you go through this month at a time. So it, it, it can become a lot of work to do, in theory. Right. And, and, and it does cost players money, too. And, and I, I emphasize that, too. Uh, do you guys have enough and, and stuff like that? And also with travel, I also, when it was on a discussion on Discord, is the closer you are to a major city, the cheaper the goods will be while you move further out. It's going to be stuff is going to cost more, and so that's a money sucker of of the of the you know their 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 treasure and stuff like that. So you know, even Gary said inside the inside the uh, DMG, it's going to cost a hundred hundred gold pieces a month per character to because they like living the high life. Yeah, I think it's know? per level, isn't it? Per per yeah. character per level. So, so if they're tenth level, they're they're blowing up. You know, it's basically the the luxury tax, a.k.a. siphon the right. money off. You're like Al Pacino in uh, Scarface? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, Dan, I think, you know, for you can have it very, you know, there's the Vic way, which I kind of move more towards, which is, okay, and so let me ask one more question, Vic. So in your, if you looked at all your sessions for a campaign, how many sessions are in a dungeon percentage-wise versus how many is hex-crawling moving around is it a large percentage hex crawling versus dungeons what, what's the split it, it depends on which group you're dealing with here i mean a lot of the guys a lot of the guys we can move pretty fast through the hex crawl because they'll be like especially experienced players like oh okay we can take care of this encounter pretty quickly i mean it's bam 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 or they run. It's it's the inexperienced players that I'm sitting there going, okay, they're fighting over 
you know, the mundane, like who gets the dagger of venom or who gets, you know, I mean, it's, it's, do we fight them or not? I've had discussions sit there for an hour, go back and forth between a group of players and they're, they're trying to figure out, do we run from them or do we fight them or what do we do? Or, you know, they're trying to figure out, figure out their combat and tactics and stuff. The more experienced players, the faster it is. If it's the less experienced players, it's slower, but it also is a lesson. It's a teaching lesson for the, the less experienced players because they're, they're learning, you know, different, different things. Like, um, I once had a, a session where they were fighting gnolls out in the woods and they thought, oh, it's only 20 gnolls. Well, it's actually 50 or 60. I was using the smarts, you know, having these gnolls have the smarts where they're trying to do a pincher movement in on, on the group. And it, they ended up into a bigger fight than they expected. And then they had to do a, a fighting withdrawal, you know. So each group is different. Some will, some will run at the immediate sign of danger. Others will sit there and fight it out until the bloody end, you know. So just depends on who you're dealing with. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I, I get your point, Dan. It can get very war game especially if you're, you know, like Vic was saying, when they're getting to that 9th, 10th, 11th, they're getting to semi-retirement, they're building strongholds, they're recruiting armies, and now they're fighting other armies, and you're moving over land. But it doesn't, you don't have to do it that way, and you can keep it very high level, and you could set the encounters that you want. I think the other part is you get to use some of the spells and things that you normally... You know, Mass Morph. When are you using Mass Morph? This is the only time you'd use Mass Morph. Uh, spells, there's certain spells that are only useful in the outside, overland uh, thing. Have you, so, so Vic, have you run an underwater hex crawl? No, I've never run an underwater hex crawl. I have done it on top of the sea where I've had people who had to move from like Greyhawk to the Lenore Islands and stuff like that for an encounter or for a module or something like that, but never underwater. The only time I've ever done any underwater stuff was uh, in my youth when uh, we battled some things i don't remember what it was uh we had rings of underwater breathing or whatever it was and it was a it was a slog fest okay yeah and i think that's one of the areas that we didn't cover is there is rules for underwater and a lot of the spells obviously fireball doesn't work so hot underwater so if you're if you're literally in the water you're not in like a air bubble inside there so you have to look at all those spells and there's a new complexity that would be kind of a cool you know somehow you you get polymorphed into fish or something and or you have gills and you kind of have to do an underwater uh adventure your gnome aquatic gnomes maybe dan yeah uh yeah do you guys out of curiosity do you guys assume that your pcs can all swim no I've, I've ruled it, uh, especially if somebody gets thrown in the water or something like that, and they've got plate mail armor. I've drowned a couple characters before. Well, and not just that. No, I mean, yes. I mean, because there are rules, and I assume, James, that's where you're heading, yeah. right? I know there's rules for it. You've got to get – it's got to be their magical armor. And I think even in magical armor, it's, Gary said you can only doggy paddle, which is interesting. You know, you got to get rid of your armor. But but does every can everyone sweat? Like – so a lot of don't a lot of races don't like water. I think like but halflings don't like water, 
right? I think those gnomes would drown in a heartbeat. I mean, I don't think they're gnomes are like <laughs> I mean, swim. I mean, are little gnomes getting swimming lessons? I mean, <laughs> they're like reading and writing. I mean, obviously, if you're magic, but if let's say you're a fighter that has an intelligence of seven, yeah. are we sure you can read? Uh, right. right. Okay. And I think I think that goes back to your secondary skill role. When you're in the in the DMG, you can got the secondary skill role. If you're a fisherman or something like that, you would naturally assume that. But if you're a miner from the mountains, a limner, you know, what are the odds you're going to learn how to swim? You know. Yeah, but the players the players don't like that. Well, and or you could do it this other way of uh, kind of like with the keen hearing you you. This is the first time you're swimming, roll a D20. You know, give them a 50-50 chance. Hey, you're a swimmer. And if they roll a one or two, you're a really good swimmer. Oh, you don't know how to swim. And now, now you're right. going to drown. Yeah. And, the, and the rules for swimming, assuming you know how to swim, and, the, and you know, uh, if you have magic armor or not, is on page 55. Basically, you know, as soon as your character says, well, I have 1850 strength. I want to swim in my plate mail. You go, you're drowning. Have a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one cares. About and yeah, and and I've done that before. Is that you know, I mean, I've ruled it where people have been thrown in the water, and I'm like, okay, you've got one minute to get out of your armor, otherwise you're dead. What type of armor do you have? And it depended on what type of armor the person is slaying. I was like, oh, I've got uh, plate mail. Well, you're dead. You've got no chance. You know, because you can't get that armor off in time. Now, if they said they have chain. They've got they've got a chance depending on if it's like a, just a chainmail shirt they can just lift it off and throw it off you know all right you know they've lost so much weight so it just just depends on what the, what's going on there it's just another dynamic you can throw into the game you know especially if they're like crossing a river or something like that well, you know because they hate to take their armor off so uh, Doom Driver asked what about the battle system have you used the battle system uh, Vic and what are your thoughts I'm gonna be, I'll be right back. I have not used the battle system. I was getting battle system. We had that back in the day. Yeah, that's for large-scale combat, right, right, if I recall correctly. Which, I I mean, I liked that idea. I mean, I liked the idea of incorporating large-scale combat uh, because I liked this idea that other things were going on in the world. Most of my large-scale combat was um, what I would do is just have two groups to say, all right, this group of 10, you know, I'd roll 20, yeah, I'd get 10 20 sided dice for these each 10 sided die equals 10 guys. And if they rolled a 20, you know, I'd roll damage and I'd figure out how much damage this 10 group did to this 10 group. And all right, this 10 group slayed this one and stuff like that. And that would be our basic combat for for anything large scale it um, combat sort of thing. And you'd had armor on each side, and that's how I would do it. Just sort of like individual combat, except for a be like so this is the this must be this, this must be the second version, because we actually used one, but this one is still not been used. It's brand it's like out of the box. This is what's what's the copyright on that? Yeah, that was what early I think that was early eighties. Eighty four, eighty four 85 right at the end of the end of the real world um oh wow that shows that's definitely still playing obviously i mean i played through the 80s but so, so obviously it's as good as uh, uh unearthed that, that? 
<laughs> on Earth Arcana. It's not the date that was the problem. It was not like 1985. It was like a bad date. Did you, James, did you, you, you use that for a combat? We did, because um, we must have had two of them, and I must have took the other one, because we did use it a couple of times. And people were asking, where do you get hex paper from? I have 1980s hex paper here still. It's just so cool looking through this nonsense. But, yes, so we used it because we liked... Like Vic said, we wanted to build armies, but it's a mini game. It becomes, it's not D and you know, it it brings you back to um, brings you back to D and it brings you back to its wargaming roots. And some players are not; they didn't play the Avalon Hill games. They don't know about facing and and morale and routing and all these other things. We did because we were all friends, so we had similar skill sets, so it was good. You know, more modern players may not like this. It's a lot of work, but it does bring the, and I'm sure, and I know other people have built simpler systems. Like, you know, before we had this, like Vic, we would do the same thing. We'd kind of, kind of guess the random strength. We'd roll dice and kind of go, yeah, you lost 20% of your people. Um, You know, the issue becomes, it's, I think it's a better game the simple game is there's like three modes there's like simple medium and hard the simple game's good because it assumes basic armies fighting each other you know dwarves versus zombies it becomes complicated when you have now dragons and wizards because you got fireball and death spell and and you cast a fireball in this unit how many of them get destroyed it 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 it, it can be you could spend many sessions just doing this. In fact, they wrote adventures that kind of was a hybrid. You do some adventuring and that, and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, you have to have the right people to play with this. Uh, and because now you've got a table with all your miniatures and, you know, we, we used to use just our miniatures were dice. We never used miniatures because we were cheap and we weren't painters. Now you've got miniatures. Battle are miniatures, or I thought it came it with like little, little chicks. Yeah, it has little chicks that yeah. you you have. But you need a big. You know, you need a giant table. You know, back like with Panzer Leader or Panzer Squad. You know, you got a big table and you stacking units and everything else. So, yeah. uh, one other thing which we could talk a little bit about because this kind of blends into it uh, from Vale. Uh, have you heard of West March's style? And uh, have you used it? And what would be curious if you have tips on making zones out of wilderness and generating random landmarks? That's what that's they're asking. Okay, uh, I just I, just, I didn't know what West Marches is until about thirty seconds ago, so I just read about it. <laughs> yes, I've done it. Where I well, here's what I did with a campaign: I put a gate in the woods where the players found it. They didn't. And they they went into a whole new world. I mean, starting out with just a plain hex map, they landed in a, a arch. They came out of an arch at a in a plains, and then I just let them go nuts. I just then they started to do circles and figure out what's around them. And I rolled random encounters and everything else. And then they'd start finding stuff, and I'd start putting like villages here a mountain here, a stream here, an ocean here, and stuff like that. And they've sort of built their own world. And it it was probably 500 by 500 miles. They finally got to that point. Then they said, all right, we're out of here. And they ran back to the thing and went back to Greyhawk. But, 
yes, they've done something sort of that like that where they've made their own world. And it's it it takes a, a DM a fair amount of time to start figuring that out because they gotta start writing the lore and everything else that Gary Gygax did for Greyhawk. And that just takes too much of my time currently to sit there and go, all right, I've got to write out, like, this is the ruler of this. This is the metals they have there. This is the population. This is, you know, this is where who they're at war with and who they're friendly with and stuff like that. It just, it just gets, there's too much there right now to, for me to even consider doing anything like that ever again. So, so my, um, you know, what... Did you use charts generation of what's on a hex? Do you use the charts on a hex? And I'll go. I'll answer the West Marches, uh, my version of that. So, uh, do you use any charts to or for generation for what's on a hex? Or how, how, so? How do you determine on the map on Greyhawk what's what's on the hex? Uh, there was a Gary. Gary had something in the DMG. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember where to add it here, but it does have the. Um, a way to transition that. I don't remember the uh, the page or anything like that. There is a way to do okay. it. So I and I that's what I was using. So so West Marches was something I tried to do. I've tried to do it a number of times. And the idea of West Marches is is the the concept, not just the hex crawl. I mean, hex crawl is part of it. The idea is, and we've all had this. The players show up and they go, "Okay, Vic, what are we doing this week?" And so it's up to the DM to decide what the next adventure is. And mm -hmm. if the DM says, you know, we're going to go to the temple, and half the people go, oh, I don't want to go to the temple, and they go somewhere else, well, all that work you put in. So the idea of West Marches is, hey, you show up at a tavern. This is the, some guy wrote, I forgot his name, and he wrote a blog about it. You come up with this, you come up with, uh, you say there's a tavern, you're all meeting there. The town is a safe zone. You, there's, no, there's no adventuring in the town. All the adventuring's out in the wilderness. And that there's, there's, you start with like three rumors. You guys tell me which one you're interested in, and, and, I'll, and I'm available on Tuesday. So if you want to play, you guys get together. Tell me on Tuesday which rumor you're going right. to. And if you want to, if you guys want to know about that, go look at the Scourge of the North, uh, SOTN, Greyhawk Adventure. I put up six rumors right. that they hear at the bar. So they get to pick out of those exactly. six. And right now, what they just did is they got done with a module called Island, Isle, Isle of Steroy. They left there. They went up to the Snow Barbarians. Now they're headed through a area called, uh, just headed towards Greyhawk on a land adventure, and they've come into a little village, and now they're learning about a, a snow, or not a snow, a frosted giant um, queen or empress is who's who is buried up in the mountains where her lair is, and. Now the ball's just starting to roll on this. They're out at the tavern still, and they're trying to get enough information to figure out where this tomb is to go tomb raiding. So they've got they've got different things they can do, but in route, I'll throw in an adventure or a small adventure just for them to go, hey, let's go off this tangent here, and let's go over here and see what this is all about. Right. You know? and, and, so you, and that's your world, and you have these things, and it allows you to do that. Um, the other part that this guy was trying to solve was he had too many players and he also, or more people could play and they, if they didn't want to do the same thing, 
And you can have multiple DMs because there's not a storyline. It's just an area that you explore. So we, so Dan, you and I could be the DMs and you, one of the rumors is, you know, go out to the hidden tower and you tell us, yeah, there's a tower out there. Dan could write the adventure and they go out and then they bring rumors back and they go, oh, that's great. And you're, you're still busy because you're doing something else. I could run when they go into the, the graveyard and it becomes this evolving world where they keep based on crawling and, and this and that. That's kind of the, uh, that's the idea of it. Right. And it, and, and then there's that idea of kind of an MMO th- thing of you're in the, the closer you are to the home base, the less dangerous it is. And the more dangerous as you keep moving out and out because the better stuff's out there. And so th- that's the idea of West Marches. I liked it. So I did a version of that using, but uh, the, the town of Flan, I renamed it. I used the old pool of radiance thing. And the farther you got away from the home area is more dangerous. And I had two or three other DMs who were part of the party. And they're like, hey, you want to take a break? I'm like, sure, okay. Uh, here's an area I haven't done. Go build something out. So we all could take turns. You know, the challenge is you still have a, you still have your player. And what would happen is, so Vic, if you were running, your character would be at the tavern. The rest of us would go. And then when you came back, if I was running, my character would sit in the tavern and then we would go someplace else. So it allowed for, um, allowed for more than one DM to run at the same time. And there wasn't a whole lot of overlap. You know, what we, you, you didn't have a quote unquote big bad at the end. You just kept exploring more and more out of there. So that's just, that's, mm-hmm. that's what the West marches, the story that he told. And, and the, what I was, what I thought it was interesting is a, it gave a DM a break. It wasn't up to me to figure out what everyone was doing. The players, like you said, here's a list of things you pick what I want, you want to do. And, that, and so I'm not writing six adventures. I'm writing one. And uh, it allowed people to take changes. So that's that's the difference. Well, see, most of my adventures when they're doing this stuff is on right, the fly right. anyways. I've got general ideas back in my head somewhere, you know, in, in the repository of adventures. But then they say, okay, I want to go do this. Okay, I got a general idea what's going on. And then they, they go, you know, I've had them, like, go tentatively explore going to do that adventure and then they back right out it's like i'm not going to the necropolis of bull you know and they run away <laughs> you know let's let's revisit this necropolis when we get a little higher level okay that's fine by me that just gives me more time to to etch out what i want you know what i mean so my six are really like two or three that that i've got fleshed out just to you know, i mean they get to dig the necropolis of old you know they're going to be immediately attacked constantly you know they're not they're gonna want to walk exactly you know so some some people are asking uh, and we're gonna wrap it up what kind of tools yeah, obviously the dmg has plenty of stuff fiend folio monster manual Two have random tables um there were products uh, the the uh greyhawk folio has random tables for the right. monsters specific to the kingdoms the type of encounters right um there were the book of layers which came out later, which again, so you have the situation, they're walking down and you have zombies, they have uh, a, a zombie layer and it has kind of a little one page. Sir. 
I, I use that Don John yeah. like you do. I have to go up to Don John. I just make a quick one right there. I'll, I'll just use the map, but I'll rip out the monsters and I'll just throw the monsters yeah. away and go, okay, here's what's going to happen. Don John has you know? a random, and, random weather generator, random treasure generator, random NPC generator. Uh, a lot of things that right. Vale's trying to incorporate too. So, and of course, the Rogues Gallery, which is a classic thing, has random NPCs, right. r- random pilgrim caravan, random bandit caravan. Right. And I'll use the Wilderness Adventure Guide uh, if you've got a, if you're able to get, you, you know, if you're able to get a hold of one. Hey, great! I'll use that because I'll be I'm, like, right now, my guys are in the lowlands of the Snow Barbarians. And they're going to have to go up in the mountains. So I'm waiting to see now if they're going to get properly equipped to go up in the mountains. And then I'm going to, then I've got, you know, to rule on, you know, how much uh, the rate of travel and everything else and figure out, you know, how they're going to go about this. And, you know, I sort of randomly roll, I'll grab a four-sided die and a, and a percentile and I'll roll it up and I'll say, okay, it's, 200 miles up to the, the, you know, this layer that they've got to go get to. And then from there, they'll jump off to do some other stuff. And, yeah. you know. and, and I think you can either, again, you can go full all these things or you can just pick a theme out of it's cold. So you're going to deal with the cold issues in that one thing. Or they're in a right. swamp and there's right. disease, which is another favorite of your tables, Dan, getting the random disease that you can get out. So. <laughs> Oh, I love the random disease table. Lately, I've been pulling that one out a, lo- a lot. Oh, everybody roll a percentage die. Why? You're in a goblin lair. <laughs> you think this is going to be yeah, clean? Your, your hands were in a dice tray. I mean, you're good. In fact, we should, yeah. wait a minute. Sorry, Dan. Tray, you know? We got to roll. Got to roll. Got to roll see what kind of disease you got. Yeah. Basically, I die, remember? It's, well, we're getting close. It, it kind of makes sense. To, so base chance of uh, 2% modified. Well, this is definitely a dirty yep. environment i should be the highest are you, are you aware chance, if you're right? currently diseased or infected with parasites i'm not aware i'm unaware Sorry, Dan, you didn't pay us uh, on my left no actually filth. <laughs> i got 75 percent you're there's some filth right so that's plus one percent yeah i'd say his house are you older are you older oh, venerable yeah. look at the white is that a white bedroom set over there or something you can see a bed <laughs> Old on the charts. I think I'm not. I don't think I'm venerable. Hang on. You're Let's see what we all are. No, I'm middle aged. This is awesome. Did, did you subtract one point of strength uh, in Constitution? Yes, yes, and thank God because now I could only be a. I couldn't be a character because I'm not that role. <laughs> I have five on both of those. I'm glad I didn't start there. So based on this. You have about a five percent chance of getting a disease. So roll, roll for that. Well, that's increasing the chance that I have to roll. <laughs> this is this is a conundrum. Um, Eleven. Ooh. Well, Hello. You just actually, actually that I'm one, sorry. Just... I, I think you may have gotten oh. it. Can we say that your cat was exposure to to carrier of communicable disease? That's yes. plus ten percent. Yes. Then you got it. Because okay. I get to say, no, you don't now, get a save. Now we got a disease. Idea. Roll percentages. I'm sorry. Roll your percentage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eighty-three. Eighty-three. It's the respiratory system. Oh, great! You got COVID. Uh, D six. D eight. D eight. Okay. 
Seven. Uh, chronic and D8. <laughs> Terminal. Roll D12. Oh my God. Okay. You eight. have eight days to live. <laughs> oh, so all right. So oh, it's my I'm last card talk. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. D8, you said? You have eight months to live. Yes. Uh, oh. re- respiratory Damn. disorders of chronic severe nature are 10% likely to cause one point of strength of constitution checked separately. Terminal cases take from one to 12 months until fatality occurs. I'm going to die right before uh, GrogCon. I'm sorry. What The, 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 the convention, convention that we are that we are. Yes. All right. It's gonna be it's gonna be wheeled in on a respirator. This, this will be the ch- memorial, the the Grog Talk Dan Memorial uh, charity event. Yeah. Yes, you should stuff me. I could be next to the, uh, the the table. Yeah, we sell tickets. You gotta get that Go Delicious mask I sent you. The, the linked for right, the, the whole head, the whole Amazon there. So. Well, very good. Hey, so Vic, give us a D10 and see how the how the show went. Uh, fine. Which color do you want to know? Oh, Jesus. Five. That's five. average. We're, I feel pretty average. Though we, I, I think it's plus one because we killed Dan off, but apparently we should. Right. No, those are embedded in the rolls. We uh, shouldn't do that. That's I don't, true. Right? That's embedded. Dice don't lie. That's embedded. true. That's true. So, uh, so Vic, uh, like I said, thanks uh, for your help and insight on hex crawls. We need to get you back on to do that uh, in the next few sessions because we haven't done that in a while. But... Uh, we also got to do Jeopardy. We're going to do. Uh, do you want to be a guest on uh, uh, Grog Talk Jeopardy or D and D Jeopardy? Oh, what the heck? What the heck? I yeah. think because Rob, we got to get him on next time to do D and D Jeopardy. So you can be, you can, you can play with us. So, so on behalf of uh, Grog Talk, I'm James. I'm Dan. And who are you? Uh, you. Exactly. <laughs> we got Vic on. That's Vic. Hi, Vic. See you later. And we'll, and we'll see you guys next time on Grog Talk. Take care. This is big, a pushy, a big production. All rights reserved.